On the driver's side floor, half hidden under the seat, there was a big hatchet. It had dried red slash brown stains covering the blade and stuck to the floor under it. The atmosphere in the room felt pressured, like a loaded spring waiting to release. It felt heavy. Feeling slightly confused, but better that it was just my imagination, I stepped in properly and looked around and saw something that made me full-on panic. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is episode 60 of Disturbed. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Disturbed. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Disturbed14 and use code Disturbed14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. Welcome back in everyone and thanks for joining me. Before we get into the show, I have one big topic to cover. Recently, a listener reached out to me on Instagram regarding a friend of hers that has gone missing. 29-year-old Taylor Pamaski was last seen leaving a party in North Harris County, Texas, on April 25th of this year. The party took place at the home of her boyfriend, ex-NFL player Kevin Ware Jr. Taylor Pamaski is described as 5'2 and weighs between 90 and 110 pounds with long blonde hair and blue eyes. And authorities are saying she may be the victim of foul play. Then, just a few days ago on June 23rd, Taylor's boyfriend, Kevin Ware Jr., was arrested on unrelated charges, but was then named as a suspect in Taylor's case. Kevin has not admitted to anything involving Taylor's case, so all possibilities are still on the table, including Taylor still being alive. Plenty of people were at the party on the night Taylor was last seen, so someone out there knows something. If you have any information into the disappearance of Taylor Pamaski, you are asked to contact Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS. That's 713-222-8477. And let's help bring Taylor home. And with that being said, let's get rolling. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Schmidtface. And we learned that in the hills, no one can hear you cry. Bringing this experience to life is Tom Eglio. This is actually my stepmom slash her best friend story. I have my own, but I'm so hesitant to drag some of them up. I'm hoping telling someone else's will open me to it a little more. My stepmom didn't like us much, but she told my sister, three years older, and I, this experience growing up to scare us out of being stupid. It was my family's stranger danger story. My stepmom, we're going to call her Macy, grew up as a kind of privileged teen in the 70s, and her mom had moved their family over here, the States, from England when she was about nine. 
She went to a pretty nice high school in a really nice town. There, she made friends with a girl, Lily, who didn't exactly run with Macy's type of crowd. Popular, stereotypical, etc. They really hit it off, and Lily would take Macy out to do her type of stuff. Hiking, fishing, sailing, there's even a hilarious set of pictures of them camping. My stepmom has raccoon eyes and looks like she hates everything. Anyway, because of Lily's influence, the two of them would do stuff like that a good amount. One Sunday, they decided to go hike in some hills about an hour away. Macy put on what I'm sure were her extremely expensive hiking shoes, and the two of them drove off to the hiking trails. Lily parked in this big clearing with makeshift parking spots, you know, like a piece of wood marking the head of a space, but there were no other cars there. This was only important in hindsight. They started hiking up the hill, off the path, because Lily fancied herself as something of a badass. The hike was nothing extraordinary. If you asked my stepmom, she would just lament for 15 minutes how sticky and buggy it was. Anyway, they reached the top of the hill, and my stepmom was done. The polished, pampered side of her was coming out, and she groaned until Lily, begrudgingly, said, okay, they would rest and then walk down again, slower. They had been heading down the hill for maybe 10 minutes when Macy started bitching again. Lily conceded to walking down the side of the road instead of the rough hiking trail. So there they are, probably looking like a couple of tools geared up for hiking and walking down a crappy road. And after not even five minutes, a truck pulled up next to them. It was red and rusty and just generally looked like a clunker. The guy driving rolled down the window and the girls looked in through the passenger's side window. He had a big beard, a baseball cap pulled down and long brown hair. He greeted them and even smiled through his beard, asking if they needed a ride. Macy described him as charming and even cute. Lily says the moment he greeted them, her hackles went up. Despite her better judgment, my stepmom convinced her to get in the truck. It must only be a 10 minute drive down to the car, tops. The two girls opened the passenger's door to this rusty old thing and the guy directed them behind the seat to get into the back. They settled in and the truck started rumbling forwards. Lily always says that was the point it hit her what a mistake they had just made. The back seat was clean enough, but there was a rope on the floor behind the driver's seat and four boxes of saran wrap half hanging out from under the passenger seat. It seemed creepy and weird, but Lily didn't want to freak my stepmom out, so she just kept her mouth shut. After 10 minutes, the woods didn't look any clearer, and they hadn't seen another car the whole time. Lily asked how long he thought it would be. He said he was taking a different route down the hill and had to stop somewhere to get something fast. That was it. The girls were 16, 17, and Lily didn't want to press the issue. She was scared. She can remember his hair because she was sitting behind him. He looked like a woodsy guy, but his hair was super tangled and dirty. She noticed crusted mud on his collar and tried to find something identifiable about him, but just got scared the more she picked up on little details. He was young-ish, strong-looking, and had a foot on both of them. So they didn't ask any more questions, and he didn't offer any information, and they drove on. Several minutes after that, they reached a tiny shack-slash-log-cabin-looking place right there in a clearing of trees. There was an old stump where someone had been chopping wood and a huge axe stuck into the log. Lily was definitely on red alert now. The guy turned off the truck and slipped out of it, saying, I'll be right back, don't get out, and he disappeared into the house. Lily tried to talk to my stepmom about how she was incredibly uncomfortable, but she mostly just dismissed it. Lily started begging, increasingly freaked out, and finally put her foot down, demanding Macy exited the truck with her. So they got out and walked around the front of the vehicle. The house was about 50 yards in front of them. Why this guy would have left two young girls in the truck alone while going into the house is beyond me. 
and they wandered around, looking at it, hesitantly. If this guy really was decent and just trying to give them a ride, it would be super rude to just run off, right? My stepmom had this strict upbringing when it came to manners and a public persona, and she saw it as an issue of that nature. So she actually started to head back to the truck, opening the front door to climb in behind the driver's seat. Lily was pissed off and followed her to yell some more. On the driver's side floor, half hidden under the seat, there was a big hatchet. It had dried red-slash-brown stains covering the blade and stuck to the floor under it. Lily understandably lost her shit, and seeing it, my stepmom started getting hysterical. They decided that leaving was by far their best option at this point and just booked it off the side of property into the trees. They bumbled around in the trees for a little while until Lily was fairly confident they were on their way back down the hill. My stepmom cried all the way down. Lily felt bad about it, but was also completely freaked out that he would hear it and kept trying to calm her down. When they finally got back down to the bottom and saw the old wooden fence that surrounded the original parking area, they were relieved. But as they got closer, they saw it, the truck. It was parked on the other side of the gravelly makeshift lot, just sitting there, facing the other way innocently. They couldn't see if anyone was in it, and of course Macy wanted to run for the car, but Lily was super hesitant. She managed to calm my stepmom down, saying she wanted to wait before running out into the open to see what was out there. Remember, this is the 70s, no cell phones. There was no ranger station or anyone around. The parking lot was big and empty and open and who knows what would have happened if they decided to stroll across it. Thankfully, Lily convinced my stepmom to chill and the two of them hunkered down against a big tree, hidden by bushes and other trees and waited it out for what was seemed to be a couple of hours. When dark started to fall, all the animals started coming out and making noises and my stepmom, predictably, started getting antsy about this and bothering Lily who was tired and moments away from giving in. She was just planning their dash to the car when they heard a clunk. Across the twilight lit lot, they watched as one of the back doors of their car swung open and the bearded guy slid his way out of the back seat. He got out, shut the door, looked around at the surrounding woods for several moments and then walked back to his truck. The truck lumbered past their car and out of sight. Several minutes after watching him drive away, they sprinted to their car as fast as they could jumped in and peeled out before they had even shut the doors. If this guy is still alive, he's really old, but still, let's just not meet. If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus episodes and your own shout out, visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Next up, we have an email submission from Cora, and we learn why you should listen to that sense of dread. Bringing this experience to life is Tanya Eby. I am not sure how to categorize this experience. It is not a ghost story, not a nightmare ex-boyfriend story, not a creepy stranger story, nor an alien story. It is just a weird story. To be honest, I'm still not sure if it actually happened. To preface, I have no history of hallucinations, delusions, or psychotic episodes, but what I experienced that day was utterly unreal. I was driving home from work on a gray, rainy Tuesday afternoon. 
I work as a landscaper, which involves being outside all day doing physically demanding labor. To say I was exhausted after my 10-hour shift is an understatement. The drive home from my work is about an hour, but felt even longer that day. While I was driving through my hometown, I suddenly felt my bladder swell, screaming at me to find somewhere to relieve myself. I was about 10 minutes from my house, and I knew I couldn't wait that long. So I resolved to stop at the Walmart that was just up the road from where I was. I swung into the Walmart parking lot, threw my car into park, and got out. I performed the most aggressive speed walk that my aching muscles could produce through the automatic doors and past the greeter, almost running over a small child on the way. I was a woman on a mission. The bathrooms were at the back of the store next to the employees-only area. The room was set up so that the women's bathroom entrance was on the right wall and the men's bathroom entrance was on the left wall. On the back wall, in between the bathrooms, was the entrance to the employees-only area. Once entering the women's bathroom, you walk down a straight, narrow corridor, then hang a right around the corner to enter the main bathroom area. Near the back of the store, I gave up on the speed walk and switched to a full jog. I reached the bathroom area in record time and headed towards the entrance of the women's room. After entering the narrow corridor, I froze. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end and my fingertips began tingling. An overwhelming sense of dread blanketed my entire body as I stared forward at the corner that I was supposed to turn into the bathroom. But instead of the corner being on the right side as it normally was, it turned left instead. Now, I have been coming to this Walmart for over 10 years, as it's in my hometown, and I knew for a fact that corner was on the right-hand side. Also, it was physically impossible for the bathroom to be on the left side, as the employee's only area occupied the space to the left of the corridor. I walked out of the entrance and looked to confirm this. Every muscle in my body was rigid and the entire world seemed to disappear as I stared down the hall in utter confusion and disbelief. Everything, the atmosphere, the lighting, just felt wrong. I was snapped out of my trance when I once again felt my overflowing bladder push against my insides. It was clear that I had a choice to make. Ignore the feeling of imminent doom and enter the inversed bathroom or unleash a yellow waterfall onto the floor, forcing an underpaid employee to mop up my mess. Despite every fiber of my being imploring that I turn around and run away, I chose to enter the bathroom. As I turned the corner to the main bathroom area, I barely had time to behold the strange world I had just entered. I flung open the first stall door while simultaneously wrestling my belt off and ripping my pants down. The feeling of unease grew and swelled as I sat there. The buzzing and glowing emanating from the fluorescent lights made me nauseous. The stark white concrete walls made me feel trapped. I had that eerie feeling that I wasn't alone. The atmosphere in the room felt pressured, like a loaded spring waiting to release. It felt heavy. I finished doing my business and left the stall. I went to the sink and washed my hands, then patted them dry on my jeans. I looked up to face my reflection in the mirror, but before I got a glimpse of myself... Vomit flew from my mouth into the sink. I stood in shock, looking down. I didn't even feel the vomit coming. It just projectiled out of my throat as soon as I looked toward the mirror. As I stared down at my tossed lunch, trying to catch my breath, I had a nagging fear in my head saying that I shouldn't look in the mirror. But I also had a curiosity as to what I would see. I took a deep breath and shot my head up to look at my reflection. I still have nightmares about what I saw. It was me, 
but it wasn't. It looked like me, but something was off. I didn't recognize the picture in the mirror as myself, but as something imitating me. Whoever was in the mirror stared back at me with soulless eyes. It was as if they were wearing my skin as a costume. I was immediately filled with panic. In my gut, I knew this was a horrible place, that it was wrong, that that person in the mirror was wrong. I flew around the corner back to the corridor, not wanting to maintain eye contact with the distorted version of myself any longer. On my way down the hall, I half expected something to grab me and drag me back to that awful backwards bathroom. I made it out of the corridor and again broke out my best speed walk straight to the front of the store, out the automatic doors, and to my car. Once I plopped down in the driver's seat, I shoved the car into drive without a second of hesitation. I needed to get away. The rest of the night I felt anxious, but I managed to rationalize the experience. I convinced myself that it must have been heat stroke or dehydration that caused me to hallucinate and get sick. Only after some more thought did I realize that it was not very hot out that day, and I drank eight bottles of water throughout the day. Despite me doing my best to ease the feeling of foreboding and console myself from the fear I felt in that bathroom, I couldn't help but be unsettled. I would have been able to brush the whole thing off if it weren't for what happened next. A few days after the bathroom incident, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my Aunt Angie. She was signing some tax forms for her taxes when I happened to look down at her signature and noticed she spelled her name wrong. My aunt's name is Angie with two E's at the end instead of I-E. My grandma named her this way because she wanted her name to be more unique. However, on this form, she had signed her name with an I-E at the end. You spelled your name wrong, I said to her, pointing at the paper. No, I didn't. What are you talking about? I know how to spell my own name, she retorted. Now, I knew that her name was spelled with two E's because I remember my grandma telling me that story of naming her. After arguing with her for a bit, I decided to call my grandma to prove her wrong. Before my grandma could even say hello, I blurted out, how do you spell Aunt Angie's name? A-N-G-I-E, she said. I was extremely confused. I was convinced that they must be playing a prank on me. I knew my own aunt's name. I knew how it was spelled. I wasn't about to let this go. I asked my grandma if she had my aunt's birth certificate. She said yes. I decided that I would go to my grandma's house, get my aunt's birth certificate, and prove everyone wrong. I got to my grandma's house and she gave me Aunt Angie's birth certificate. It read Angie, with an I-E. My entire world was rocked. This wasn't possible. I knew that that was not how it was spelled. I remember my grandma telling me that she wanted Angie to be unique, so she gave her two E's instead of I-E in her name. Either my grandma is adept at forging government documents and this is all an elaborate prank, or it really was spelled with an I-E this whole time. I still don't know if the bathroom and my aunt's sudden name change are connected. I still don't know if I'm just going insane. But part of me believes that the day I walked into that backwards bathroom, something changed, and I somehow ended up in a different reality in which my grandma decided to spell my aunt's name with an I-E. All I know is that since that day, since I turned that corner to the left instead of the right, since I saw that thing in the mirror, something is different. And since then, I have still felt that pressure looming in the air.
How often do you find yourself making special trips to the grocery store just to grab an ingredient or two for one specific meal? You don't need to do it because I have the solution. HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-proportioned ingredients so you can easily make the best-tasting, healthy meals without the trip to the store. And speaking of those ingredients, they travel from farm to your doorstep in under a week, so you know they're fresh. And I get it. You get off work and you don't feel like or even have the time to prepare an hour-long meal. Who does? But with HelloFresh, the meals are so quick and easy. You can cut that time down and have 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches in the HelloFresh market, which is going to fit in perfectly with your busy schedule. And listen to this. HelloFresh has already donated over 4 million meals to charity in 2020, and now they're stepping up in an even bigger way with food donations to your local communities amid the pandemic. Now, not too long ago in my household, we cooked up the balsamic tomato and herb chicken and I absolutely loved it. From start to finish, it was so easy. Everything was there laid out, easy to follow, and all the ingredients we needed were there in the correct proportions. Super simple. And the end result was one of the best meals we've had in a long time. And this could be you, because HelloFresh is giving disturbed listeners a special offer. And guys, listen to this. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Disturbed14 and use code Disturbed14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. And yeah, you heard it right. No shipping costs and up to 14 meals for free. And we thank HelloFresh for their support of Disturbed. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. 
Now back to the show. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Fear Not Monkey, and we discover the fingers under the door. Bringing this experience to life is Matt Bradford. So around nine or ten years ago, I was living with my mom, dad, and older sister in an oldish house in a very small village. Like, when I say small, I mean its only main feature was a small church and a few scattered houses occupied mostly by very old people. At the time, it was summer, so I wasn't at school or anything, and since we were so far in the middle of nowhere, I spent most of that time at home glued to one screen or another. The usual routine was I'd wake up around 10 or 11, and by this point mom, dad, and sister had all left for work, so I had the house to myself. I'd go downstairs, make some toast, watch some random stuff on TV for an hour before heading back to my room to continue with whatever game I was grinding through that particular day. You know, the the usual habits of a 17-year-old guy cut off from the world by many, many fields. I should give a quick rundown of our house. It was an older cottage with two rooms upstairs, mine and my sister's, and everything else downstairs. As you walk up the stairs, you got to a very small landing and could go either left, to my room, or immediate right, my sister's room. And basically, the way this was laid out was that I could sit in my room with a door open and my sister's room is directly opposite. And I should also mention that the ceilings in both of our bedrooms were slanted. We were basically in a large attic where the roof slanted down, and because of where the slant met the wall, we had crawl spaces that ran the length of the house on either side of the rooms, both with a small door to access them. This space was not very big. You had to crouch to stand in it, and most of the time you were in there, you were just crawling on hands and knees. This is all important, I promise. Anyways, this one morning, I'm woken up by a familiar noise. Some sort of small creature rustling around in the crawl space on my sister's side. I could hear this because my bed was against the wall that ran along it. Not an unusual noise. Living in the countryside, we had mice almost constantly, and they pretty much had the run of the storage space no matter how many traps were put down. I thought nothing of it and got up and went to begin my morning ritual of toast and television. The first odd thing I noticed was, while watching TV, I I could hear movement upstairs. My sister's room was directly above the living room, so I assumed she'd just not gone to work that day for whatever reason and continued munching. Around an hour or two later, I went back upstairs and booted my PC. As I was waiting, I turned around to my open door and faced my sister's closed one and realized it was late in the day and she had not yet left her room. That was an odd thing since she normally parked up on the sofa in the living room on her days off and didn't move until her parents returned. We're not the most active family. I started to think that maybe she was at work and I'd imagine the noise from upstairs. But as I mused this, I noticed the crack of light at the bottom of her door as a shadow passed by it. Okay, so there's definitely someone in there. I mean, it must be her, right? I once again pushed it from my mind and went back to my PC. The more time passed and the thought came back to me. Why would she be at home but not leave? She only has a small TV in her room and no books, so what has she been doing in there all day? I glanced back around again and saw a shadow under the door. She was still moving around in there, so what was up? I finally decided to go knock on her door. I knocked a few times and said her name. No answer. Okay, weird, but maybe she had headphones or something on. I knocked a bit harder again and said her name again, but louder. 
no answer. All right, I thought, fuck this, I'm just gonna go in. So I cracked the door open and peered around. I found an empty room, no one inside at all. Feeling slightly confused, but better that it was just my imagination. I stepped in properly and looked around and saw something that made me full on panic. Near the bottom of her little door leading to the crawl space, there was a small hole that the mice had made to get in and out of the bottom. Really small, but just big enough to fit half of your hand through. And there, coming through that hole, were four fingers holding the door shut from the inside. At first I thought, no, it can't be fingers, don't be stupid, until I watched them slowly creep back through the hole into the crawl space. I lost my shit, very quietly though I might add. I backed out of the room, shutting the door behind me and ran back to my room, and being the stupid teenager I was, I grabbed what might be the most imposing weapon I could find, the fake Winchester rifle cap gun I got from Disneyland a few years previous. I figured that if whoever was hiding in that bedroom didn't believe it was a real firearm, I could at least hit them with it. I ran off downstairs to where my dogs were on the far side of the house and called my mom, who worked about a five minute drive from our house. She told me to stay put and that her manager was on the way. In this time, I made a small upgrade from fake plastic rifle to one of my dad's golf clubs, and I felt much better with that. Finally, my mom and her boss John turned up and I told them everything leading up to that point. They say okay, and we all set off upstairs to investigate. Me, rather unheroically, bringing up the rear with my golf club. So, we get into my sister's room, and I point to the door. And I'll never know if my mom is just hard as nails or massively stupid, but while John and I watch, she marches over to the door, yanks it open, and sticks her head in. A moment passes while she looks left and right and John and I are preparing to yank her back from the clutches of the psycho hobo murderer hiding in there before she shouts, Chris, what the fuck are you doing in there? Get out! So, small amount of backstory, Chris was my sister's boyfriend. Unbeknownst to me, the night before, my dad had asked Chris to leave as he had stayed with us for more than five days at this point. He said, yeah, that's cool, and as far as mom and dad knew, he headed home. Now, what really happened was instead of leaving, him and my sister had planned to make it seem like he'd left, then he could stay another night. He then would wake up before my mom shouted at my sister to get up from work like she did every morning, and would hide in the crawl space and sleep there until everyone had left for the day. The one small hitch in the plan that they did not think of was, well, you guessed it, me. They'd forgotten I was home and conveniently sat directly opposite the only exit for most of the day, so he was trapped. When I knocked, he hid himself behind the door and held it shut to prevent being locked in. Anyway, my mom swiftly told him to get the fuck out and not come back. Sadly, this was not the last time we saw the guy, as it turned out he'd stolen quite a bit of money from my sister's room while he'd been hiding out. And then, because my sister makes terrible decisions, got her pregnant and proceeded to smash windows trying to get at her and the baby around a year later. For a while we lived in the same city and when I went to university he was spending time at the prison there for stabbing someone in a completely different town. Super guy. Oh, and a small topper to all of this. As I mentioned earlier, the, the only rooms upstairs are mine and my sister's bedrooms. He'd been in there for close to 14 hours with no access to a toilet but no worry for this guy because he had lots of empty bottles to piss in, which he kindly left behind for us to clean up. 
And finally, around a year later as mom was getting the Christmas decorations out, which were at the far back of the storage space, she found a small bag filled with feces. Now, I should mention that where she found it is exactly next to where my bed is on the other side of the wall. The rustling that woke me up that day? It was him, hiding his shit amongst our tinsel and tree. So, uh, sister's big daddy who hid in our crawl space and used it as a private bathroom. Let's not meet, yeah? Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories, and we've been getting a lot more via email at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com, over the hotline at 701-354-3667. Call in and get your voice on the show, or the online submission form at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. And keep in mind, no story is too big or too small, so send it on in. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters, Heidi Wolf, Allie, Samantha Friedman, Bethany Perkins, Lance Henderson, and Sandra Hutchins. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.